Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the PositivePsychology.com podcast. My name is Seth Fontaine Pennock and today I'm welcoming back in the studio friend and colleague Hugo Alberts. Hugo, <laughs> it's been a while since we last spoke. Welcome back. Welcome uh, you too, Seth. It's, uh, it's great to do this again. Actually, it, it, indeed, it's quite a, some time ago that we did our last podcast and I'm excited to do another one. Uh, I think there's a lot going on and a lot of topics that I would love to you know, discuss with you and hopefully people will you know, resonate with the topics as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, we, we have this whole, uh, <laughs> we use Wunderlist for this, where we save all of the topics that we still want to talk about in a podcast episode. So I think there's, there's plenty of topics for the next few, few months even to, uh, to discuss. So yeah, happy to, to jump back in and, and do this with you. Um, of course, we spoke about this before and we had a topic in mind for, for today's episode and that is finding or creating depth in an age of distraction. Yes. Um, yeah, can you maybe tell us a bit more about about this topic and about your about why we picked this? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's, it's for many people, at least including myself, it's, it's, it can be quite challenging on a daily basis to, you know, filter through all the information that is coming at us. You know, if you're sitting behind a computer like me quite a few hours a day, it's, 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 you know, there's so much information coming at you. And, and I think it's not uncommon to, to be overwhelmed by everything that is thrown at you, especially when you have, you know, a need to create work that is meaningful to you and to other people. And, and what I've noticed myself is that sometimes after a day of work, uh, I don't feel really satisfied. So I, I have this lack of meaning. And, and when I look back at the day, it's often because, you know, my attention was scattered. It was not focused. There was a lot of things pulling me away from the things I really wanted to do. And I, you know, I, I started to realize that what is missing is what you could call deep work is also the, the famous book written about this. I think the, the ability to go deep with your work, to stay focused, concentrated and not be distracted by all things that are in the end, not really relevant or, you know, not contributing significantly to your sense of meaning. Um, and I, I think what I would love to do with you is discuss ways in which you can increase focus and, and fight or, you know, not get lost in all this distraction that we're so confronted with. Mm. I think that's a great idea for, for this podcast. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot I can share from, uh, from personal experience also in dealing with distracting apps, uh, with social media, uh, on the, on the one hand, the whole eliminating distraction uh, side of things. Mm. And on the other hand, because eliminating distraction is, is not enough. No. <laughs> of course you can eliminate all distraction and then just sit there and do nothing. So on the other hand, the question is like, what do you do to, to foster depth and to get into this uh, creative mode or to, um, eliminate procrastination and to really um, focus on building something that you deem worth, uh, worthwhile in life to, to build. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and I think the, the consequence of that is really focusing on something that is meaningful to you, or at least committing yourself to something is that your choices become easier. I think for me, mm -hmm. the most influential book was, um, essentialism. Yeah. The book Essentialism helped me to realize that I was a non-essentialist, that I was doing too many things, that I didn't have enough focus, and that I always felt like I had not, an, I didn't have enough time to do what I really wanted. 
Um, and this was because I wasn't really focusing and made my priorities clear. You know, I, there were so many mm. priorities and if you have too many of them, you basically have none <laughs> because everything is yeah. important. And this, the whole essence of a non-essentialist to a non-essentialist, everything is important. And so he finds himself completely lost in all the thousands of projects that he run, he's running or she's running. And, right. and I think what, what helped me to survive is to realize that to create a sense of focus, you have to prioritize things. <laughs> so it, it, a lot of the distraction part has also got a very personal part. I think it's easy to become distracted if you're not very sure about what you want to do, you know. At least that it's true for me, you know. If I have a very clear idea about what I want to do today, and it's easier for me to shut down everything that's irrelevant because I know it is irrelevant. You see what I mean? You know, you can only know yeah. what is irrelevant if you know what is not irrelevant. Yeah, and, and that means that the activity you, you intend to uh, undertake has to be intentional. Yes, absolutely. So, um, instead of like, like random or brought about by by an email that you just happened happened to get uh, that morning. So I, I definitely think that's the starting point. It's like, what is your intention? What are you aiming to build uh, or or create? Or what do you <laughs> even more zoomed out? What do you want out of life? Um, and I think if you gradually from from that level of, um, you know, maybe more philosophical, but what, like, what do you want out of life? And then you, um, zoom into the day to day and like, what, sh what should I be doing on a daily basis in order to, you know, to realize this? Um, I think that's the, that's the starting point. Yes, absolutely. And I think it is, of course, it's true that by eliminating distractions, it's easier to focus, but it's, it's never the whole story. Because even if you would eliminate the distractions, the question is, what makes you so drawn to them, right? You're not eliminating that part of yourself. Because many mm. of the distractions are also habits and addictions that we've created. I, I, I see this with myself as well, you know, I'm not proud to say this, but I, I check my phone more often than I would like to. And why is it? Because it's an addiction. It's a habit. It's something that we created. And it's really hard to see through it and, and see, well, is this really what I need? But it, it happened automatically. And, and of course you could, you know, I could shut down my phone or, or just remove all the apps and that kind of stuff. But is this really addressing the core of my problem? You know, uh, that's so, it's so interesting. It immediately reminds me of, um, when you said addiction, it reminds me of, um, treating addiction and the, the question um, let's say there's, there's someone uh, who's addicted to a substance, right? And mm. as a helping professional, you, you want to, to help, um, this person get rid of the addiction. But the question is like, what are they getting in return for their addiction? Or, um, what would they be giving, um, their addiction up for? Like for what? And if there is no answer to that question, then, then it's essentially a bad deal for the, for the person who is addicted. That's so beautiful. Uh, of course it's a bad deal because indeed, like you say, you know, so I quit whatever I'm using with whatever kind of drugs I'm using. And then I enter this void, you know, this empty state in which there is nothing in return. <laughs> and, and, and then it becomes also very easy to understand why many people fall back, you know, and relapse. Hmm. 
But the yeah. same, but the same holds for for the media use that we're so confronted with. Now, I think the only healthy way to counteract this is to find something that you consider to be, um, you know, worth paying attention to more than paying attention to these apps or whatever you want to call them. And I think this has a lot to do with with focus again, with meaning, finding something that you consider, you know, to worth devoting your time to. And yeah. I think if, if you have something, for instance, the funny thing is when I'm in the studio with my friends, you know, and I make music, I feel no urge to check my phone. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, because I'm so involved in what I'm doing. I don't care. I don't care about messages. I just want to continue what I'm doing. And I think on a deeper level, if you get back to distraction, I'm not sure if there's any research on it, but I can imagine that once you have things that you really love doing in life and, and that you consider to be truly meaningful, the power of things like food that can also be like a substitute, like they can fill literally like an emptiness, but also an empty feeling that you have. I think the need for those kinds of drugs or addictions becomes less because, you know, they lose their power because you have something that's way more valuable in a way. I'm not sure it's just some random thoughts here, but I can imagine that this is also true. I think the immediate relief that they offer or the satisfaction or whatever is, is it's it's not even close to what something you know diving deep into something that is meaningful gives you yeah yeah i hear you and i'm all at the same time i'm also thinking that there is this big gap between um what people value and their actual behavior on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. instance if you know let's say you're uh, out for dinner with some friends and one um one of uh, them is constantly checking their phone. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to ask this person either beforehand or afterwards, like what is more important to them, like connecting with their friends um, or, you know, the distractions that are coming in on his or her phone, then this person would say to you like, no, of course, like, uh, you know, connecting in a real way with my friends is more important, but their, their behavior in the moment does not show that. Um, and, Similarly, I think if you ask a lot of people what is really important to them in life, they start riffing off and saying things like uh, friends, family, uh, work, like realizing my, my dreams, uh, you know, ticking off my, my bucket list items, whatever. But if you look at their behavior on a day-to-day basis, it's not in line with that at all. And again, this is generalizing, but I, I, I know that for some people and sometimes even for myself, that is definitely uh, the case. So between values and behavior, there is a, there is a, a whole world. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when, you, when you consider your own life, when does it happen? When are the moments that you're not living in line with your values? I think that's the clue to getting somewhere, you know, because that mm-hmm. gives us an answer. Like, what is it that prevents us from living in line with our values? Yeah, I think a certain kind of mindlessness and, again, not being very intentional or a lack of awareness as well lack of presence i would say mm-hmm. all of all of those things so when you're on on autopilot just playing out your day um based on your um your routine and your your automatic behavior you know how sometimes you have days and you're just doing what what you would do yeah, without yeah. much thought, you know? And most of our behavior is like that, by the way. I think it's easily 95% or more of our behavior that's just, you know, playing out the cards we've been 
dealt that day in, in the way we always do. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I think the, the less awareness there is, the um, less uh, mindfulness, you, you can also say, the more likely we are to just act on autopilot instead of consciously acting in line with our values or vision for the future. Yeah. So, so you know what I do on a daily basis to remind myself of my values? What's that? Uh, I just remind myself of the fact that I'm going to die and that I don't know why, mm. but that this life is finite. And it's a very, it may sound a bit morbid or a bit, you know, dark to do this, but in a way, no, it, yeah, it, I love it. But, that, but that for me, it's like, it forces me to, to realize that this is all I have, you know, and, and I have basically time is the, 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 the currency of life. Mm. And to spend that time well, I think you have to be aware of how you spend it. And when I do this, it also becomes for me easier to, to let go of, of distractions because suddenly those distractions become, you know, it's, it's as if you, uh, expose them, right? It's like, I see through the very fact that you are a distraction, that you're not really worth it paying attention to. Right. And I think you don't, if you push, you know, if you drive this too far, of course, you, you, you become obsessed with, with, with time and to devote it in the best possible way. And so I think that's a, a step too far. But I think reminding yourself of, of this whole idea that this life ends can be a very healthy way, at least for me, to avoid the illusion that life is happening somewhere else and, and that, that really it, it, it doesn't matter so much, all those things. Yesterday night I was at a concert. It was really funny. And I noticed that everybody was, you know, using their phone to record the, yeah. you know, the concert. And I was like, yeah. why, why are we doing this? Because, because I wanted, you know, for my son, I also wanted to create a sh short movie. But as soon as I was doing it, I noticed that I wasn't present anymore. I, watching, I was watching through the screen at the concert and I immediately lost connection with the moment. So I just, at a, mo at a certain time, a certain moment, I just, you know, put my phone away and I closed my eyes and I came back to, to the concert. But, but mm. in a way that, that phone was distracting me. <laughs> from the very experience that I was having. And I think this is when distraction is really at its best, you know, it is, it is distracting us from the very experience that we're having in this moment. Uh, yeah. And so we live life in a, in a two-dimensional way rather than in a three-dimensional way. At least this is how I experience distraction often. And you know what also strikes me? It's something that I also told you lately. I realized that it's not that technology because it becomes more efficient and faster, helps us always in a positive way. I, I notice that I become more and more uh, impatient because everything is so efficient nowadays. You know, it becomes yeah. harder to wait because everything is immediate. You know, and I don't want to go into, you know, when I was young, I had to wait to watch my favorite TV show. And now you can watch everything. I'm not going into that. But what the point that I'm making is like, we often forget the impact that technology and and distraction have on our whole psyche on our whole you know way of being yeah yeah absolutely i'm i'm seeing this in my own behavior as well so aimed at 
at convenience in in everything you know everything as as fast and efficient as, as possible always every time i'm in uh, south of europe where things still you know <laughs> it's a bit more slow paced there mm. um and every time I'm in the in the supermarket there, I, I got annoyed standing in line. Like, oh my god, this system that they have so inefficient. <laughs> this this take uh, this is taking like five or ten minutes just standing in line compared to you know the Dutch uh, supermarkets where everything is like s- super fast usually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm always confronted with it, like with with my own. Uh, reaction to that event like really you can't just stand in line for five or ten minutes and and enjoy the fact that you're uh that you're in another country and experiencing another culture right now so yeah exactly yeah. so it, it it increases the pace of living as well so and and for me myself i think the greatest gift that i got when i started you know working with you to gather our company i think the greatest gift is is that at this moment i can do a lot of deep work i can isolate myself and work for hours straight you know and focus on yeah, one so thing to, to to write for instance like the last product we did like the, the resilience master class you know it's hundreds of hours of digging into the literature and doing all that stuff uh writing it down and doing research but you can only do this when you're focused because you have to go deep it's not like you do this and then you check your email and then you have a phone call because you're you're constantly distracted and you you don't have the i think ability to see the whole picture and so on so i think when you go deep i think that's the beauty of getting rid of distractions and and you know diving deep into something when we do this, we get into a different zone, you know, in a different reality. Time becomes different. You know, we, we, we're not aware of time so much anymore. We're focused. It's the flow state. It's the, the common thing that, that Csikszentmihalyi talked about. But I think on a deeper level, what is also created is, is a sense of a peace for me. You know, when I'm focused, I'm at ease. You know, I'm, I'm, I can be very driven, mm-hmm. but very passionate. But... I'm in a in a very peaceful way of being. Whereas I'm distracted all the time, I'm not. I'm quite often stressed, you know, because I'm being pulled away and pulled back, and it's a very hasty, I would say, a very <laughs> unpleasant state if you really analyze it to be in. At least that's yeah. my that's my experience. So this is something I also became aware of that that being distracted is. is for me, it's not a very pleasant state, whereas being very focused is a very pleasant state, both when I'm doing it and afterwards, because afterwards I feel like I really did something, you know, yeah. you know, what's, what, what struck me most when I read uh, essentialism, it, it, it was, the, it was the, one of the first, you know, I, th- I believe it was even one of the first pages or something. I remember that the author said, like, have you ever got this feeling where you, you know, had all these plans for a day, and when you arrived at work, you had so much distractions that at 12 o'clock, you, you didn't even start the very thing you intended to do that day, you know? Yeah. And this was me. This was me so much. And I, th- I think many people recognize this, at least the people I talk to. They all say, well, this is exactly the way I work, you know? There are so many emails, and people come in, and, and stuff to do, that I've, I barely find time to do the things that I really want to or have to. 
And that to yeah, me, the real, that, the real that, that, that to me is distraction, basically. To dis- distraction to me is being pulled away from something that truly matters. That's what distraction yeah. is. Yeah, I think that's a good definition. Um, and then, like, like we already said, you have to know what truly matters to yes, you yes. And, and what is important to do, you know, at that moment. So uh, to be able to, uh, to prioritize. Um, and I, I think also having, I think the, the more you are aware of all of the f- forces that are working against you, maybe the easier it becomes to, to deal with it. Because I know what you think of, of social media, for instance, mm. right? And uh, you don't have social media. Maybe no. you have a LinkedIn profile that you never look at. Um, <laughs> and, and no, no, but yeah, but I, I admire that honestly. And for, you know, for, I think, for our business, or at least that's the, the story I'm telling myself. But I know it, it, it has also helped us, especially in the beginning when we were starting out, being active in some, uh, you know, social media circles and, and communities really sure. helped us to get some traction in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm saying it's not useful. It can definitely be useful. But the intention here matters again. Like, what are you using it for? And then maybe you can say well okay half an hour a day that way we get you know that way it's working for us instead of against us and then and then it's done and then i focus on on more important stuff um but i don't think that you're actually creating a lot maybe like there are some very rare example uh, or uh, um uh, exceptions to the to this rule but i don't think people are really creating stuff on um, social media so it's always like sharing what the your work that you you've created mm. if at all if you have something to promote at all so the real deep work is is done either before or after um yeah sure but, you, you, uh, but you, you could say well you could say well one of my values is is connecting to people and staying in touch with certain people and this is the argument that i hear the most people that are you know saying well i use um, I, I, I do think that social media is useful. Many of them say, yeah, because it helps me to stay in contact and touch with people. I, I think that's true, of course. I think this is also maybe value-driven. So I, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm not against social media, you know. But for me personally, um, it just distracts me too much from what I love doing. You know, it's, it's just not adding a lot. So the question that I ask myself now and that helped me to become more like an essentialist is a very simple one. The question is not when a choice is offered, like what do I miss out when I don't take this opportunity, right? When I don't go for it, because that's what we normally do. And this is what I was doing all the time. I was asking myself, so whoa, so I get offered this opportunity. I can do this. I can, you know, whatever, uh, go to this client or give a talk here or whatever to, to, to talk in terms of my work. Um, and I always took it because I thought, well, this may be a chance to do this and that. But now the question that I'm asking first is, if I do this, what do I have to give up in order to do this? Because you only have so much time, right? So, and the same yeah. applies to social media. So, of course, it's it's nice and to, to to share pictures and to stay in touch. And but if I do this, I will devote time to this, and this time will not be available available to other things. So, what do I have to give up in order to be on social media? And this basically is the same question that uh, applies to the situation. If somebody asks me to, to to deliver a speech somewhere like a five hour drive from here. 
I can say yes to it, but I will lose a complete day by doing that. And in that day, I cannot be with my son. I cannot have dinner with him and so on. Uh, I cannot play with my daughter, you know, and read her uh, the book that I always read to her in the evening. This is what I have to give up, right? So suddenly, if you ask this question, what do I have to give up when I make this choice? Rather than what will I miss out when I I not take this choice and I will not go for it? Uh, it, it, it com- turns things into completely different perspective. And this perspective helps me to become less distracted. Because basically, mm. that is what distraction does. It pulls you away from what is meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're talking about the, the opportunity costs of, you know, using social media or um, jumping on other <laughs> opportunities that uh, you come across in your inbox, uh, for instance. Yeah, but but now now of course we're talking a lot from our own perspectives. Yeah, uh, you know we only the, those that's the only perspective we know very well. Uh, but what about the perspective of let's say a sixteen-year-old girl who is attending high school and who is severely addicted to her smartphone without her being aware of it because it's the norm because everywhere she looks around everyone seems to be addicted to their uh, smartphones hmm. it's it's a new norm so she's not even an, an outlier in that sense what about what about her perspective and how do you see that um how do you see um, this person developing and ever creating that real focus or getting clear on what they value if they're stuck in that constant mode of distraction together with their peers. It's a really interesting question. Um, because I, I, I know a lot of parents are struggling with this uh, at the moment. More, more than ever before. So, yeah. It, it easily can also become like a black and white thing. It's like it's bad to be, you know, using these devices and, and so mm-hmm. on. And like a few weeks ago, I realized actually I'm quite happy behind my computer. You know, I make electronic dance music, so I use a computer a lot. So when I'm making music with my friends, we're sitting pretty much, uh, you know, of the time behind the, behind the computer screen. But I, I really love it. And, and, and what we create is something that I love creating and, and also some people like listening to, you know, and yeah. Um, so, so I think the computer itself, we must not get into this, uh, you know, idea that technology is bad or that computers are evil or whatever. I think when we still are aware of how we're using them and how they contribute to our values, I think that's, uh, then they become like a device that, you know, allows us to translate our creativity, you know, in the, in the, I remember I saw a very old documentary and it was about synthesizers. In the 80s, some people thought, look, those are mach- machines, right? And machines are evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, th- I thought it was like Herbie Hancock or somebody said, but you can cre- use them to create beautiful music as well. You know, and I think the same applies to computers nowadays. Uh, you can become very distracted and you can become very, uh, you know, maybe engaged in a life that you regret afterwards because of them. Or you can have used them to build something that was truly valuable to you. I think it's both true at the same time. So to get back to your original question, I think before you want to answer this, I think you also have to ask yourself, like, 
it's easy to to demonize those those phones and those devices and look at your teenagers and say, "Whoa, they they're all messed up and so on." You know, in in the 80s, they thought the same of comic books. Seriously. No. No, seriously, there was a whole movement that said like, "Oh my god, those books are screwing kids. They're not learning to read properly anymore and so on." And now, oh, you know, yeah. we, of course. So th- this whole anti whatever the youth is doing movement has always been present. So that is nothing new, of course. Yeah. You see what no, I mean? I don't think we should we should demonize technology. I mean, technology isn't isn't good or bad. There are advisable and less advisable ways of of using it. Um, I'm also not demonizing demonizing the person because they are there again just playing out the cultural and situational cards they've been dealt. Um, in so far as I'm demonizing anything, it would be the the mindlessness of the behavior. Yeah. Again, I don't think that the 16 year old girl is at fault here. No, 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 um, no, no. So I think if you if you want to come to an answer, I I don't know. I don't hold the answer, of course. But I think getting rid of technology or forbidding, you know, making it forbidden, I think it it will only create more urge to do it, as it has always been. Like when we mm-hmm. forbid drinking, people start to drink and experience more urge to start drinking, and then. Yeah. So I think the solution is never in in making things forbidden. But what I do believe is that. Um, we can learn people to focus more on the part that we were talking about in the beginning, like the mindful part, like how is this contributing to whatever you want, and and um, and maybe also and, and maybe also and for me it's always interesting to 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 not only observe behavior but also to ask to ask, for instance, a teacher, a teenager in your example, like what is it offering you this whole technology? Because obviously, if there was no reward involved, it you know. It's, people mm. wouldn't use it. There is something. It's, it's too easy to say it's, it's all addictive and they design it to be addictive. But there is something to it that is so attractive. And you can always look for different ways to do that as well. You know, you can also say, yeah. well, is there an alternative way to get that same feeling that you're now getting from your cell phone? And are you willing to explore this? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and, and uh, this reminds me of a point that Nir Eyal makes in his new book, Indistractable. There's mm. this one of the last chapters he talks about um, talking with with kids or young adults about um, this this technology, um, and he he basically says like kids are not stupid. No. You can really sit down with them, you can talk with them, and you can think about this together with them, like. Every hour that you spend on your phone or on your console or on your PC or whatever, that's an hour that you can spend, I don't know, you know, doing a game together as a, as a family or, you know, really sitting down for dinner and spending some, some quality time together or, or playing uh, football playing ball or, yeah. outside with friends, etc. So as you, as you walk this through with your kid and, um, at some point they understand like, oh yeah, okay, this, the, <laughs> this time, I, I can only spend this time once uh, per day. And is this the best use of my time? Um, or b- beforehand, even determining like how many hours per day would be reasonable to spend on this activity, seeing how you also value these other things. Yeah. The, uh, the kids can, he, he found, cannot come up with their own answers and actually be very reasonable about this. Like they won't mm. say like, I want to spend 10 hours per day on this because 
they the one a they they know it's not reasonable and b they don't want to be doing that as well um and i think there's also some self-determination theory in this because you give them the autonomy to say what they think is reasonable and then act in line with what they've said before so there's also that commitment and consistency principle uh, uh, at work here yeah uh, and i think that i think that was a that that's pretty brilliant because i don't think a lot of parents or or in schools that they really have these very conscious uh, conversations about how to be using the technology and putting the kids in the in the driver's seats and letting them determine their own rules so i really like that point i think when it, it all comes down to what we were discussing in the beginning you know it's it's like what is something that is meaningful to you and is this device helping you to create that or not and mm. and how how well is it doing that you know of course i can send you a facebook message <laughs> but what if i just you know took some time to really meet you you know what can you still experience the difference between the two <laughs> yeah. and this is what i like so much about going to a concert like i did yesterday it's it's um of course, you could say, "Well, can I? Wa- I can watch that same concert on 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 Netflix." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that would be the same experience. Exactly, yeah. but it's not the same experience. And in the same way, like sending a Facebook picture to somebody is not the same as you know talking to this person privately. Yeah. You know, it's, it's 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 a completely different experience. And I, I think when we when we still realize that there is a difference between digital and, and non-digital, and I think that can also help to, to um, maybe take some more time for the, th- the things that truly matter. Yeah, sometimes it feels like we're crawling back, back in uh, Plato's cave, you know, and, and are again watching the, the shadows on the wall instead of like the, the 3D uh-huh. version of, of everything. Yeah, and I think this becomes even more challenging when we enter the, the realm of, of virtual reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I th- No, seriously, I'm not sure if, if any of our listeners have ever, you know, experienced VR lately. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's we're basically sitting in that cave with our goggles on, <laughs> experiencing or watching the 3D reality outside that we might as well be experiencing ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's and, pretty and ironic. That, and, it's very ironic. And the, 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 the paradox is that the very experience in this moment is, is basically everything we have. It's what we buy with the currency of time. <laughs> so time is the currency of life and experience is what we get in exchange for it. Uh, and I think this is, I think, the, the, the interesting thing about distraction. It's basically not, not so good value for money. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. So we're all wasting our our finite uh, currency. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and 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 here again, it becomes so clear that we have to be be very clear about our own uh, priorities. Because once you yeah. know that what is truly important to you in life, you can devote more to that. If you know that five, just making a very uh, simple example here, but. If you know that these are the five things that matter most to me in life, well, I would suggest to uh, spend as much time on them <laughs> um, as possible. But if you say, well, these are the 27 things <laughs> that are important to me, well, good luck with that, because 
I think it's a horrible reality that you're in because you will always find yourself not having enough time and and and, yeah. and limited and, and constrained in any way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's beautiful, and I, uh, it reminds me of this uh, this quote from uh, from Rollo May. I'm just pulling it up here. Let me read it out loud. He says, "The essence of being human is that, in the brief moment we exist on this spinning planet, we can love some persons and some things, in spite of the fact that time and death will ultimately claim us all." Wow. And what I love about that is that he says we. We can love some persons and some things. Yeah. Some. So he he is also talking about values here and about to use a, maybe a harsher word is discrimination, and you have to yep. you have to discriminate. We've talked about this before. Yep. Um, if if everything has the same value to you, you know, you're just uh, a, a puppet playing out your uh, your immediate environment. So. Yep. You know, and you know. I think what is what is one of the most beautiful products, consequences, if you want, of of devoting time to one thing. It's 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 that we learn about ourselves through the process. You know, to 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 do something that you do all the time, but you take the time to go deep with it instead of doing fifty things. I think. It allows you to see something new in that very same thing. I think that is also what I've learned in, 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 in you know, through making music. You know, it's it's you start with making music, playing the notes, and although you play notes, the process in in essence remains the same. It, it evolves. It's basically I've I saw the keyboard a thousand times. You know, I've witnessed it, witnessed it a thousand times, but. Every time I see something new in it, every time something new is created, so the old reality has changed. It's it's not reality, of course, that has changed, but me witnessing it. I am developing, and therefore I see this very same piano in a new way. So the new we see in the same old reflects our own process of change. I think we we now look with different eyes and therefore resonate with the object, in this case, the, the piano or keyboard, whatever you want to call it, of our attention in a different way. So the old has become the new and we have i think become new and this is a process this infinite of course it happens when we read the book again after many years yeah. uh, you know I, I think you have the same experience right we we pick up things that we didn't notice the first time yeah we yeah, we find exactly. a, a great message on the page that left us untouched the first time we read it and but it, it it happens when we commit ourselves to master a craft we create the same thing in a different way and in this process of reinventing the old thing, we shape ourselves, I think, until we reach the core of the matter. And, and, and ultimately, that's ourself. I think when you go so deep, it always gets more personal and personal and more personal. I think this is also why truly showing people what you've created is a very vulnerable act. To me, it is. At yeah. least something that is very close to my heart, that, that is the result of many hours, years of, of practice and so on, that is something that is exposing myself. Is a very vulnerable thing to show. This is also why I'm, I'm, I'm so insecure about all the master classes all the yeah, time. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say that. I mean, l- look at how every time we we put out a new product, it's a, it's a stressful period. Yeah. Um, 
I think for both of us, and, and it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the bad kind of stress, but it's definitely stress. Maybe a part of it is like you stress, some sort of positive stress, <laughs> and like a, a release, a release almost of all of the energy that you that you put into it. But uh, I think that will that will always be the case, just because you've invested so much of yourself and yeah. your your energy in it, and then and then on the other hand, there is of course the the whole exchange of uh energy ab- about all the, the people whom we're reaching and the you know our awareness of everyone who is getting to see not only that creation but also the messaging we're using to, to put it out so it's a yeah it's pretty it's a pretty intense experience uh yeah every it time is. again it is it is and the funny thing is it never changes you know you would say mm-hmm. like after a few times you get used to it but i think this is the whole thing with 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 deep work and the things that are created out of deep work, they become so personal or they become so you because you are literally in there. You know, you have devoted a lot of time of your finite life into this product or the thing that you created. So it is personal. It is because of you that it exists in the first place. Without you, that very thing never existed. <laughs> it's a little part of your life. It is a little part of your life. And this is what if you're, you're, if you're, yeah, there. if you're, if you're, if you, uh, in the end, you, turn, you reach the age of 80 and you've invested one year in this product, it's like 180th <laughs> of yeah. your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you consider it from that perspective, you also see how important it is to spend your time wisely. <laughs> I think that that's really the conclusion um, of, the, of this conversation is that the distraction will maybe first get clear on what would you want to be spending your time on mm. if you're not if you if you're not in the mode of distraction yeah beautiful i think it's a nice moment to con- uh, conclude this um this podcast man yeah absolutely nice okay let's uh let's do this again soon <laughs> thanks a lot man thank you for talking man <laughs>